we're going to get started then, and I want to get started on the right foundation. Um, I, want to, I want us to look in Genesis 1 today. We're going to be in Genesis 1, uh, 2, 1, all the way to chapter 3. We're going to look at a lot of scripture, and I want to start it out on the right foundation because I think that so much of our missions and so much of our emphasis throughout the years in regards to evangelism, in regards to reaching out across the street and across the world has been founded on something wrong, a wrong concept. And I've been guilty of it just as much as anybody else, a very man-centric, man-focused kind of idea. But we find in the very first word of the Old Testament, we find the subject of the Bible. So here's a little bit of a news flash in case you didn't already know it. This book that you hold in your hand, this holy word of God, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about God. And I'm not a Hebrew expert. I'm not a language expert in any way. I've learned from men who are smarter than me that the very first word in the Hebrew Bible is Elohim. It's God Almighty. So Verse 1, right in the very beginning, you look at it, it lays the foundation for us that is so important. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? But in the Hebrew, it would say, God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. So he's the subject of the very first sentence of his holy revelation to us. Now that tells us something, that teaches us something that's very foundational to all of missions, to all of our understanding about anything, is this holy perfect book is about him and that should help us lay a foundation for what missions is about then it's not about us going out and seeking the lost and finding that desperate person and bringing them and winning them and doing all this thing it's about us displaying the glory of God and him drawing to himself so that we might fulfill our creation purpose and that's kind of in a nutshell what I really want us to capture this whole week is that idea of God in all of his glory because right in the beginning, God being the very first word means that he is outside of creation, right? He is outside of time and space. He began it himself. So that means he is set apart. He is holy, utterly set apart from everything in creation because he's the creator. Now, like I said, I'm not going to tell you anything new that you don't know. This is just obvious stuff, but hopefully God will remind me and you of why he's put us here in this world he's created. So he's the subject. He's outside of time and space. He is utterly holy, and therefore we're to be holy as he is holy. We're to be um, mimicking him or reflecting him in obedience to his holy commands we need to recognize that if he is if he is holy then we are also called to be holy and to align ourselves with him and this is the whole idea our god is a missionary god that's the whole concept i want us to look at and understand if he is a missionary god then he's called us to do the same to be the same to be a missionary people to reflect his glory. And I want to do the impossible this week. I want to try to look through the whole of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. So every single night, we're going to be moving toward Revelation. And then on Wednesday, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. So we're going to be covering a lot, but it's going to be from a 10,000-foot level and view of seeing how this holy God creator set outside of all of creation 
how he has made us, what he's made us for, and and how we should be living for him as a missionary people. So that's what we're going to look at. That's how how we're getting started. So uh, as we consider that, we think about, first of all, the definition of holy. Holy is to be set apart, to be consecrated for a purpose. And we're set apart and consecrated unto God for his purpose. So I want to look at that now in Genesis chapter 1, and I want to go down to verse 26. We read verse 1. We're going to skip around a lot, so you're going to be busy skipping around. Verse 26, and we're going to read from verse 26 through verse 31. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the living things that move on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to the, every beast of the earth and every bird of heaven and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So the first thing I want us to kind of understand here when we look at verse 26 is something amazing happens in the course of God's creation. Something that stops the pattern of creation. Because as you look back in chapter 1, what you see is this pattern of God saying, let this be, it becomes. He looks at it, determines it's good. He sets it in its place. The day is over. The, the morning, the evening, the next day comes. And as you continue that pattern, it, it gets longer and longer, more detail that God is revealing to Moses for him to record of this kind of summarized version of creation. And it gets down to day six, and verse 26 tells us something very amazing that happens, is that God pauses this rhythmic pattern of creation. Now, that's a very dramatic moment in creation. It's a very important moment for us to understand because out of all these things that have been created, all of a sudden God stops And he takes counsel within the Godhead for this next moment. All of creation pauses for a moment because something very important is about to happen. Now, as I said before, we know as followers of Christ, this world is not built around us. We are not the center of everything. This book is not about us. It's about God. So we know we're not the center of these things, but we know something very important is about to happen at this moment of creation, that God would pause take counsel within the Godhead, and then create mankind. What, what he's done here, what we see in this next moment, this pivotal climatic moment, and, 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 and it's a crescendo moment because everything's been building up to this moment, and then all of a sudden God pauses, is because at this next moment when he makes mankind, he is determining that his son will die. 
See, God wasn't caught off guard. He, he, he wasn't unexpectedly unaware of the fact that we were going to sin. He created knowing that he would have to redeem. He created mankind, this next step of creation, knowing that he was going to subject everything that he has made and determined and declared that it was good, he was going to subject it to the curse of sin. So this is a major moment as God pauses this whole act of creation to bring in to creation the mankind. And that, I mean, we could talk for days upon days. We could do a whole study on, on this idea and this understanding of, of creating mankind and, and how we were made, male and female. There's so much stuff here that we can do, but we're, we're going to kind of stick with what the theme and the idea of, of this time together is. In this act of creation, this pinnacle moment, mankind is made and appointed as God's royal representatives. We are made to rule over the earth and to reflect his image. That's the reason that Mickey was carrying a mirror today, not to fix his hair. I had asked him to bring this with me, with him uh, and find it, so I don't know which of you volunteered it, but thank you. We'll just use it for this week. I'm not going to take it back to Florida with me. But I want us to use it all week long because I want, it, I want it to bring some points across with us. Some points that will actually stick in our mind and in our head very good. Something that we can't let go of. So that every time you look in the mirror, you're going to be thinking about reflecting the image of God. That's what I hope to, to bring across with this idea of the mirror today. I, I was in the, the, the Salt Lake City Airport, or the Salt Lake Airport, walking out of the men's restroom in the terminal, getting ready to get onto my flight here. And coming out of the, the restroom there is a huge mirror from floor to ceiling. You, I mean, as you exit the bathroom, you cannot help but look and see. And I thought it was very strategically placed. I loved it. I thought it was a great idea. You can give yourself a look-see before you get out there. Make sure you've tucked in your pants. Make sure everything's zipped up. Make sure everything's in place before you get out into the, into the airport terminal again. And I thought that was great to remind us that every single time we walk out, we are a reflection of something. And who are we reflecting? And I want us to answer that question over and over. So this is going to be around all week. But the first idea is that we are set apart in our nature and purpose, the very purpose of why we were made, to rule as reflections of the image of God. That's our purpose that's our identity. That's our understanding of being. God made us for the very purpose of reflecting back his glory. So every time you walk past this mirror this week, every time you look at it, I want you to stand in front of it and Mickey's going to take it and he's going to set it out there in the foyer in just a minute so that you have, to, you have to literally walk past it as you're leaving. I want you to take a look in it every single time this week. There's going to be something else I want you to look for I want you to notice and the first thing is that you were made in the image of God to reflect his glory as I said we could talk for days about the two genders and all those things I know pastor Mickey has has preached the word and I know that you know these things so we're going to move forward and look at this overarching theme of the fact that God is holy he is set apart and he made us unlike any other thing in creation even as fallen creatures, we know that we are still considered the image of God. Though that image is tainted, it's marred, it, it's been corrupted, we are still called to be the image of God. And we know as followers of Christ 
that he is progressively making us more in the image of God. If you look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul talks about this idea of the image of God and this, this idea that we have been called to become more in the image of the Creator. So as you walk in front of this mirror today, as you're walking out, I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to know that you were made in the image of God and I want you to ask, am I appearing like Christ? Am I appearing like Christ? So Mickey, go ahead if you would and take that out to the foyer. Some of you probably looked at it if you remember the old SNL skit, the Stuart Smalley, I think it was the guy. He would look in the mirror and say, I am good enough, I am smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. As, as followers of Christ, we should probably be saying, I am not good enough, I am not smart enough, but thank God for grace, he saved me, right? So he's going to set that in the foyer, and we'll, we'll look at it every single time we pass by this week. Next, as we look at, continue and look at this, this passage, verse 27 really amplifies that idea of the magio Dei, the image of God. We were originally made with the capacity to perfectly reflect God, but we have marred that. One of the ways he's called us to reflect him is to represent him, and the Spirit is restoring us every day to make us more of a representation of him. So as we look, we see that we are also set apart from nature for relationship with God. As you continue to look through that passage of Scripture, something else amazing happens there. We see in verse 28 that God speaks directly to mankind when he made us. Now, that, that doesn't happen in any other part of his creation narrative. He speaks of the creation he speaks over the creation. He says to the fish, you will dwell. He says to the birds of the air, you will be in the heavens. You will multiply. You will increase. All of these things. He's speaking of those things. But when he creates mankind, after having paused, he looks down to mankind and he speaks to us. That tells us something very special and makes us something very different in, God's, in all of God's creation. We were made to have relationship with him. We were made for the purpose of engaging in fellowship with God. Now, God didn't need that fellowship, but he made us with the purpose of relating to him, of understanding who he is. And now part of that, all of that really, in, in, from our perspective of that relationship of fellowship, is worship. It is giving him the worth that he deserves, the glory that he deserves. So you see how that relates to reflecting the glory of God. In our relationship that we were made to have, we were made to reflect the glory of God. He made us for relationship with him. And that's really the key to understanding everything in life. Understanding what we were made for. People ask that question all the time. What's my purpose? Why am I here? Why, why does... Does God have me to exist? Why do I have breath in my lungs? And God did it so that we might have relationship with him. He made us for that purpose of, enjoy, uh, of enjoying communion with him. Now, all of these things are really setting the context of where I want to go with the idea of God being a missionary God. Because we had to understand very first of all the plot, the, the idea, the foundational idea that this is all about God. We're just his creation. So he made us with a purpose, and that purpose is to reflect him and to relate to him. 
But you are smart people, and you know that that relationship has been broken, right? We all know it. You can look around the world, and you can see it very obviously. That relationship has been broken. That communion, that that experience of fellowship that we were to have with God, unbroken, that ability to reflect back to him his glory and worship, that has been broken. It has been stolen because Adam and Eve made a mistake that we would have made ourselves. So we look at Genesis chapter 3. Go ahead and skip ahead to Genesis chapter 3 now. I know we're skipping through a lot of scripture and that's really against my nature. I like preaching through a whole book of the Bible, but I would have to be here too long. My wife would miss me. Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Verses 7 through 11. So this description of Adam and Eve hearing the sound of the Lord in the garden. And we're not going to spend a lot of detail on and all of those things. It's absurd that you would think you could hide yourself with fig leaves from the creator who has made you and woven you together and breathed life into you. But nevertheless, that's what Adam and Eve had done. But what, what I want us to notice is this idea that reflects back to that purpose we were made for, to relate to God. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden. Now, this is written in such a way to imply that this was a normal thing. And we don't know how long it lasted, but it would have been a, would have, been a normal thing because they recognized the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. They knew his presence was with them. That was something they were used to. Isn't that amazing? That they were used to the presence of fellowship with the creator God so that they even understood when they heard that sound, that was God. He's here. He's in the garden. He's walking to us. Normally, in any other circumstance that they had had up to that point, that would have been a moment of great joy. God's here. He's walking in the garden. Let's run to him. Let's go into his presence. Let's find him. Let's fellowship. Let's commune. Our creator who provides everything, he is here. He is worthy of our presence of us, worshiping and reflecting him. But in this moment, they felt guilt, they felt shame, they felt a need to hide themselves because something was different. You all have heard this story many times before. You know these things and these truths that we're pointing out. We were meant to find all satisfaction in the presence of God and in his provisions. We were meant to reflect back his glory. And instead, they chose to find satisfaction in something else. And they, they chose to try to re- 
really shine their own glory, reach out for their own glory, that they might gain the knowledge that God had. We're not going to go into all the details of all those things. I want you to look back at them sometime. You've read them many times before. But now, rather than being set apart unto God, they are set apart away from God. And they are setting themselves apart from God. So now we know fear. We know guilt. We know harm. We know pain. We know death. All of these things, they lost their childlike innocence. And all of these things... They lost the fellowship with God. And that's where we are. It's no surprise to you that we live in a broken world. But here's the good news. Even in this passage, we see that God is a missionary God. He pursued them. And that's what I want us to see this morning. Our God, the creator, the one who is set apart from all of his own creation knowing what they had done. God's not caught off guard. We know our God is sovereign. We know he's almighty God. He knows exactly where they are. He knows exactly what they've done. But in the process of him walking into the garden to come to them, he reveals something very special, that he is a missionary God. He was pursuing them. They didn't pursue him. By his own grace, by his own love, by his own purpose of redemption, our God is the one who pursued Adam and Eve. As I said, this is nothing mind-blowing. This is something we've seen many times before. But God made us for relationship, to abide in relationship with him. And when we broke that, he sought us. That makes him a missionary God, and that makes the mission his mission that he invites us to be a part of. We know from Genesis 1 all the way to chapter 3, verse 9, that God is almighty. He's sovereign. Nothing continues to exist outside of his will. He could have immediately eliminated Adam and Eve. He'd already told them of the consequences of their sin. So he had every just right, every just reason to pour out his wrath. Yet we see him come to them and we see him ask the question, where are you? We know he's not unaware of where they are, what he's revealing. He's revealing many things in this passage, but I want us just to consider a couple of things. One of the first things that he's revealing in this passage, he was revealing to them that he is seeking them. He is pursuing them. In asking the question, Adam, where are you? In your feeble attempts to hide from me with your fig leaves sewed together and hiding behind the trees that I made, where are you? He's showing us that he was pursuing us. He is showing us the great redeeming love that he has. Number two, he's showing Adam and Eve. This question is rhetorical. He's showing them where they are so that he might gently restore them and draw their confession out. Like a gentle father with a wayward child, with a rebellious kid or a teen, he is pulling them out of their rebellion He's revealing to them what they had done, the the, the true nature of what they had done in chasing after their own glory rather than fulfilling their creation purpose. We see that we are set apart to a redemption plan for the glory of God. And we see that in verses... um, Genesis uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. I want to read that. 
Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat in all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and this woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, he, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We see the picture of redemption in that moment. This new idea that God's plan of redemption was going to be carried out. We see that we were set apart for the redemption plan of God's glory. So God made us in that moment that he paused creation. He made us for the very point of displaying his glory. Now, we could begin to try to twist our finite minds around the concepts of God and how and why he would go about bringing about his own glory but in his sovereign plan of redemption he determined that his glory is best manifested when he redeems us so we are thankful for that we worship him for that we we begin to pour out and reflect his glory because that's why he made us in the first place to reflect his glory so we see that we're a part of that plan now I know you you see the, the most obvious picture, the most beautiful picture of God being a missionary God is seen in the incarnate Son of God. The Messiah sent to us, and that's exactly what God prophesies in this moment in chapter 3, verse 15. Speaking to Eve and all of her offspring, she speaks of this idea, he speaks of this idea that there's going to be enmity between the serpent, and his forces. And they're always going to strike out against this child. They're always going to strike out against the heir. They're always going to strike out against her offspring. We know that from the very beginning this has happened. We, we see it throughout history. Cain killed Abel, right? We saw that, that, that plan, that, that destructive plan. We saw Noah's offspring we saw the promise of, of the son of Abraham. We saw David threatening to be pinned up against the wall by Saul. We, we see the active pursuit of the enemy trying to destroy what God has promised. But we see God's promise of redemption. His promise that he's a missionary God reaching out after us. Threaded all the way through human history. And this redemptive plan is magnified in the Messiah, all foreshadowing the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 through 24. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has come Become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. We see in this Brief passage of scripture, this broken fellowship, this banishment of being pushed away from the fellowship that they were created for because of their sin. We see that promise of redemption in a picture of substitutionary atonement. 
And we see that in the very picture of the clothing that God makes. Up to this point, they had been given the task, Adam and Eve had been given the responsibility of caring for all of creation. There was no death, there was no killing before this point. And God becomes the first one to pour out wrath on one of his created things to substitute in place of Adam and Eve. Can you imagine the horror of them seeing death for the very first time? Of them witnessing God sacrificing an animal in their place and then coming and draping the clothing over them to replace these fig leaves. See, we were made for the purpose of redemption, but this purpose of redemption, this plan of redemption requires sacrifice. It is a picture pointing to the sacrifice of the son that he was sending. All of the whole gospel is is seen right here in these first three chapters of Genesis. It lays the foundation for us to understand that there is a missionary God who pursued us, who redeemed us. It really makes us think a lot differently about our clothing, right? Next time you put on that leather jacket, you'll think about it, right? When you walk out there and you look in the mirror today, I want you to think, I'm made in the image of God, but then I want you to look at your clothes. And I want you to realize when you have them on, it's because we sinned and we have to hide in shame. We had to be covered. Our shame had to be covered. And I want you to think about the one that he was promising to send in chapter 3, verse 15, who would bruise the head of the serpent. And that is the Messiah. We are set apart for sacrifice. Or by sacrifice. And the sacrifice was given by Christ. As uh, JT comes forward and Brother Mickey comes up to lead this time of response, I simply want you to think about the very first word of this perfect holy book. It is God. It's about Him. And it's about His mission that He set us apart to. And maybe if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your hearts today about that, He will deal with you. Pastor Mickey will help you um, during this time. But this week is going to be looking at that whole idea of the mission of God that we are called to. 